Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Wow, wasn't that great? Man, man, man. I love to see people go public with their faith. And uh, if you have uh, personally prayed to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus in the Scriptures says your next step is to go public with that celebration. And you can do that. We're going to, again, into next month, sometime around Easter, uh, we'll be celebrating baptism again. Use your communication card. Let us know. You'd like to be a part of that, and we'll we'll uh, set that up. Set that up. Well, sometimes, sometimes all hell breaks loose in our lives, does it not? The unexpected, the unimaginable, the unimaginable happens. Uh, it, it, sometimes it's in our family. Sometimes it's in our church. Sometimes it's in our community. Sometimes it's in our nation, but uh, sometimes chaos erupts. There's a particular kind of chaos that's frightening. And that is when people that we know, people that we love, people that we like, people we've invested in, people maybe we've even uh, uh, sacrificed for, turn on us and attack us. And, take, and seek to take away from us what is not rightfully theirs. It's a fearful time. It's a frightful time. It, it feels, like I said, like all hell breaks loose. In 2 Samuel, about middle of the book, 2 Samuel, a book in the Bible, we find the story of this happening in the life of a very prominent man. King David, the most prominent and the most beloved king in the nation of Israel, uh, reigned over Israel, beginning, scholars say, somewhere around 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. And he ruled over Israel for 40 years approximately. Uh, He was a good king. He was a great king, especially in the, the early part of his leadership, the early part of his rule and his reign. But he's a terrible father. He just didn't get it. For example, David had, um, had, had many sons and daughters by several wives. He had several wives simultaneously. And now, just, just a note, uh, polygamy was, was common at that time in history, but it was never God's plan. He never approved it. It always caused trouble. If you'd like to know more about that, I've got a paper I've written on that, and I'd be happy to email that to you if you'll request it. But, uh, but, but however he got here, David had many sons and, and daughters by several wives. One of those sons, the firstborn, was named Amnon. Amnon was his favorite. Amnon was the firstborn son. Amnon was the one that, that David, he doted upon. In fact, David played favorites. Bad idea, parents. David played favorites. And all the kids knew it. Uh, everybody in the court knew it. All the servants uh, knew it. Now, Amnon had a half-sister named Tamar, David's daughter, uh, 
by another, another wife, half-sister to Amnon. And Amnon, we can't say he was in love with Tamar. He was in lust with Tamar for that she was very beautiful. She was beautiful. She was kind. She was attractive. Everything uh, that would make uh, a young woman beautiful and attractive, she was. She was a virgin. And he could not figure out a way to get his hands on her. And he wanted to. He wanted to. Well, Amnon had a, Amnon had a sorry, no-count first cousin uh, who was also kind of his closest confidant friend named Jonadab. Now, if you know, everybody I know, everybody I've ever known has, has a sorry, no-count friend hanging around in their life that, that just can't, that loves the opportunity to help them get into foolishness or sin or do stuff that's bad. You got one? If you don't, you're probably that one for somebody else. <laughs> you're one or the other. You may be both, maybe both. But I mean, I can look around. I can, I mean, are faces not coming to your mind now? Yeah, you just give one little hint that you'd like to do something wrong, something bad, something off color. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll, they'll help you with that, right? Right? Amnon had a sorry, no count cousin named Jonadab like that. And so one day, Jonadab asked him, he saw Amnon lovesick, and he said, why are you moping around all the time? What's wrong with you? He knew what was wrong with him. Why are you moping around all the time? You're the firstborn son of the king. You're a prince of the, of the king. You've got all of this opportunity. You've got all of this uh, notoriety. You've got everything goes good for you. You have no... Re- what is the problem? Well, he knew what the problem was. The Amnon told him. Oh, he's lovesick over Tamar and... And, uh, and so Jonadab, he called very quickly, said, oh, here's what you do. He said, you pretend to be sick and you ask your father David to request that your sister uh, Tamar prepare a meal for you that would nourish you and help you get better and to come serve it to you. Well, that was common. And so the request came from David to his daughter Tamar and she happily said, well, sure, I'd be happy to help my my brother, and so she went to his home one day, prepared the meal, and got ready to serve it for him. And then Amnon did this. He, he cleared the house. He sent all of the servants out of the house. He cleared the house and he said, I'm not feeling too good enough to sit up. Why, why don't you bring this back to my bedroom? And she did. And he overpowered her. And he raped her sister. All the while, she begging that he not do this horrible thing. And then when he finished, he turned on her and, and threw her out of the house. Well, she, uh, the virgins in that day from the time they were little girls until the time they married wore these beautiful gowns signifying their virginity. She, had, she ripped the sleeves on that gown, ripped it, She poured ashes on her head and she put her face in her hands and began to cry aloud, sobbing uh, mournfully as she walked back to her home. These were the radical outward symbols of, of grief and pain and regret in that in that culture. She had a brother named Absalom, full brother named Absalom. Absalom caught her. She went to him. And he brought her into his house found, and found out what had happened. And he said, you, you just come live with me. 
And she, as far as we know, she lived out the rest of her lives in the household of her brother, desolate, the Bible says, and bitter and grieving over what had happened to her, what had been done to her uh, unjustly. Unjustly. Well, King David heard about it. The word got back to King David, and he was furious, but not furious enough to do what he should have done. He did nothing. He did nothing. He did nothing. He never. He did nothing to discipline his son Amnon. He did nothing to comfort his daughter. Tamar, he did nothing to bring justice to the situation. He did nothing that a leader and a father should and could have have done. Absalom was furious, the brother. And he hated his older brother Amnon. And he bided his time for two years. So in two years, nothing ever happened. Nothing acknowledged. And he'd said to his sister, "You just let's just keep this in the family because this is a family thing. You just stay here. For two years, he bided his time. And then he one day threw a party for all of his family. And all, he invite, made sure he invited all of the princes of Israel, all of his brothers uh, and, and sisters, all of the family along with friends to his home for a big banquet, a big party. And he made sure that Amnon was there. And right in the middle of the party at its peak when Amnon had had too much to drink and was a little bit tipsy, in front of God and everybody, Absalom had Amnon assassinated. It kind of broke up the party. I mean, that's a good way to shut down the fun when one of the guests has his throat slit at the dinner table. It just it ruins dessert. That's what happened. And chaos erupted around that, that table and in that house. And all the other princes jumped to their feet and everybody was crying. and moaning, Oh no, the, un, the unthinkable has happened. And they fled. They got on, the Bible says they got on their mules. They rode uh, mules that were very valuable in those days, and they rode those back to their home in Jerusalem mourning, and, and servants ran ahead. They joined in the grieving, and word got all the way back to King David uh, as to what has happened. And he mourned, and he grieved, and he mourned, and he grieved. That's all he did. Absalom, because he feared for his life, then fled the country. He fled from, evidently he lived around Jerusalem. He fled to a region called uh, Geshur, which is in a... Um, if you go look at the Middle East and you see the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, uh, Geshur was uh, the, uh, to, the, uh, to the east, uh, kind of a, another wilderness area. But he went there, pretty good distance away from Jerusalem, and he remained there for two years. Two years. Now his... Um, David gave up trying to get him to come home. He just left him alone. Finally, Joab, the general of King David's forces, said this, this, unreconcil- this non-reconciling thing is not good for anybody, not good for David, not good for Absalom, not good for the country. Everybody knows it's going on. And so he wisely arranged and convinced David to allow, bring his son home. He said, well, he can come back, but I'll not see him. I'll not see him. That's what he did. 
And so Abraham said, what good is this? He was, he was back a few years. He said, I can't, I haven't seen my father. So for five years, he had been uh, exiled from his father. Five years not getting to see the face of his father or communicate with his father. Five years watching his father do nothing and letting the injustice that had taken place to his sister uh, go un, unaddressed. And as we've seen, Absalom could hold a grudge. Well, David finally agreed to see him, but it was too late. For he, he began a five-year journey, four or five years, I can't remember exactly, to win over the hearts of the military leaders and the military personnel and all of the people of the nation of Israel. And he, he was good at it because Absalom, as you see him described, he was a good-looking man. He was big. He was good-looking. You know, we always we want our leaders to... You know, a good look. Matter of fact, our church would be much bigger if I was three inches taller and had hair. Uh, you know, I mean, we, you know, we are a shallow people. We, people. Human beings just want somebody that looks good. Well, he, he, he not only looked good, he had the most beautiful head of hair in all of Israel, the Bible says. And he was winsome. He was charismatic. People wanted to get to know him. They wanted to be a, identified with Absalom. And he went about this uh, endearing himself to all the leaders and to the people of Israel. And then one day it came. He led a military coup to overthrow, kill his father, and become king. And this was not some little, hey, me and my buddies are going to sneak in in the middle of the night. The Bible says at least, we know, at least 12,000 soldiers who had pledged their allegiance to Absalom came with him to overthrow King David. David knew what was going on. So he, in the middle of the night, he had to flee the palace, flee Jerusalem, flee into the wilderness, run for his life. All hell broke loose in David's life. The unimaginable had taken place. In those days of fleeing, David prayed. How do you pray when life falls apart? How do you pray when all hell breaks loose? Well, David's prayer made it all the way into the Bible for us to see, to see how he prayed. We're going to look at it now. Psalm 3, the third psalm. If you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, Psalm 3, the third one, about right in the middle of the Bible, back in the Old Testament. Get your hard copy, get your digital copy. Remember, please bring Bibles. We will use them. You need to use them. And uh, you need this. I need this. We need to get it, know how to get into God's Word so it'll get into us. Psalm 3, we learn something about how we can pray and should and could pray when life falls apart. I'm going to read it for you. Psalm 3. This is the Word of God. This is David praying. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there's no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory in the one who lifts my head. I cry aloud to the Lord. And he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I'm not afraid. This is a stunning statement. I'm not afraid of the thousands, and there were thousands. I'm not afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. 
Strike all my enemies on the cheek. Break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. So how do you pray? Well, first of all, let me see your eyes. You pray with raw honesty. You pray with raw honesty. Now, real prayer, effective prayer, is not flowery. Real prayer is not necessarily beautiful poetry, even though we'll see that some is. Real prayer is not seeking to learning right words and beautiful phrases to impress the people who hear them or to impress God with our, uh, our vocal capacity. It is, that's not real prayer. We see real prayer here. Real prayer is something different. Now, because, because you and I received this book of prayers called the Psalms, this ancient Hebrew book of prayers, because we received them much later on and we received them in the King James English. Uh, they tend to be, and they are Hebrew, Hebrew poetry, but they tend, they tend to be very beautiful. Some of them are very beautiful. But because of that, we tend to think, expect the language to be, um, what's the word? Delicate. Delicate, beautiful, flowery. And yet, when we take the time to read them clearly with understanding, for the first time, the first time we do it, we are shocked because they're not, the words are not delicate. They are raw, they are emotional, they are uh, earthy, they're shocking. Shocking honesty. So, so, well, so what, does it, what does it look like then for us to pray to God with raw, earthy honesty? Here's what it looks like. It looks like you and me pouring out our emotions on God. We pour out our emotions on God. Now our culture tells us, uh, if you go to school and study this, uh, our culture tells us from a lot of places that, that there are only two ways to process our emotions. One is we stuff them deep down inside our being and we do not express them. The other is that we vent them. Now the Stoics said, stuff your emotions, they say. Stuff your emotions uh, because we, you're going to be out of control and, and that's a scary feeling. And so you just act like you don't have them and you press them down and you ignore them and you keep them deep down inside of you. The only problem is that does not work. For when we stuff our emotions, our feelings deep down inside of us, we get ulcers, uh, our, we get high blood pressure, we experience relational atrophy as we become emotionally distant from all of the people around us uh, that matter. Stuffing emotions do not work. Well, then we are told, vent them. Vent your emotions, they say. Let it all out. Hit something. Speak. Tell it like it is. Go uh, on and on and on. Um, scream. If you do that, you'll feel better. Write this down. No, you won't. No, you won't. You will not. You will not. Venting our emotions does not decrease our anger. Venting our emotions increases our anger. It, it uh, ratchets up our rage. It multiplies our sense of malice and our desire for vengeance. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger uh, in, in our church and with our marriage or our kids or our friends or in our business, in our country. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. 
it's a bad idea to verbally vomit over everyone around you emotionally. It's a bad way to do it. Two ways only? No, God gives us a third way. And the third way is this. He says, work out your emotions with me in prayer. Not with anybody else. Don't vent them, don't stuff them. You come and work them out with me. You pour out your heart to me. In Psalm 62, verse 8, jot down that reference. You can look it up later. The psalmist sums it up again. And he says, trust in Him at all times. In other words, he's saying, you can trust God here. So do this. Trust Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before Him. God is our refuge. Now David had at least two emotions that we see here. First of all, he poured out his fear to God in verses 1 and 2. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me there's no help for him in God. You see, David was running for his life. Thousands of fighting men were pursuing him and closing in on him to take his very life with the intent to kill him. And he was afraid. When we are attacked, when we are attacked, the first emotion we have is fear. Harm is going to come to me. Harm is rolling down the track my way. We're afraid. We have, we have fear. And um, so when chaos erupts, fear comes. Well, David was afraid, and what did he do? He didn't stuff it. He didn't vent it. He poured out his emotion to God in prayer. He admit, I am afraid all these terrible things are, are happening to me. And David also poured out his anger and his desire for revenge on God in prayer. Now you see, Absalom, his son, and and all of his colleagues had suddenly taken away things that were of value to David. They took away his position as king. He was not on the throne. He was out running for his life. They'd taken away his position. Well, that was valuable to David. He he valued that. They had taken away uh, his, um, uh, his prestige. Uh, his position, his power, his prestige, taking away all of his power. He no longer had any power. He's running for his life. His prestige, his, his, his integrity, his reputation in front of all of the nation of Israel, they, they, they turned him into a laughing stock. And they'd taken his possessions. They'd taken possession of the palace. They'd taken possession of um, uh, all of his wealth. Uh, Absalom had even taken possession of his concubines, which is a bad idea for anybody to have. That's another story to another time. But it's in the Scriptures there. They'd taken away everything that David valued. And so he was not only afraid. How do you feel when someone takes from you illegally, immorally, what is rightfully yours? Some of you have had people take money from you. Some of you have had people break into your homes and steal your possessions. Some of you have had someone steal your wife or steal your husband, steal your business. How'd that make you feel? Mad! Didn't you feel mad? Yeah. Yeah, you feel mad. David felt anger. He, he felt anger to the point that he wanted revenge. He wanted to cause them pain. He wanted them to hurt. He poured this out to God in prayer. Look at verse 7. I'm going to expand on it. He said, Rise up, Lord. Arise, O Lord. Come, Lord. Strike my enemies on the cheek. Smite them. Slap all my enemies on the face. He said, slap their jaws. Break their jaws. 
Break the jaws of my enemy, God, and break the teeth of the wicked. Shatter their teeth. Smash their teeth. Smash them in the mouth, O God, he prayed. Wait a minute, Pastor. I, I mean, that's in the Bible? You know, we can feel a little uncomfortable when David is praying this to God because didn't Jesus teach us to love our enemies? I mean, didn't Jesus teach us to bless those who curse us, to to do good to those who harm us, to pray for those who hurt us? I mean, don't the Scriptures teach us that we are not to return evil for evil, but we are to overcome evil with good? Isn't that true? Yeah. That's exactly right. That's what Jesus teaches. That's the kind of people He will turn us into. The people who do the unnatural. He said, yeah, but David is praying the opposite here. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. He is. Well, what is going on? He is simply processing his emotions, even though they are sinful at this point. He's asking God to do something that God will not do. He is pouring out in raw honesty his emotions to God. He's working through his emotions of anger and rage and vengeance with God, the, the, the proper one to do so. You see, you and I can only properly work through our emotions if we are honest and if we express them to God in prayer. So don't pretend when chaos erupts in your life that you're okay and that you're not mad as the devil. Don't act. God already knows. So well, why do I need to tell him? Because you need to work it out with him. He is the only one that can help you work out uh, these emotions when we're afraid or when we're angry. Now, it does... Does it mean that He'll hear our prayers no matter what they are? Mm -mm. Does it mean that He will answer our prayers no matter what they are? No, it does not mean that God will answer our prayers when we pray wrongly, when we pray for the wrong things, when we pray for sinful things, or when we pray for stupid things. In the book of James, He says, you pray to me and you don't get an answer sometimes because you pray for the wrong thing. Now, you're free to pray to me. He says, come boldly before my throne of grace that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come, tell me what's on your heart. Pour it out, just like I showed you David did. Raw, hate, vengeance. Come, You're safe. Pour it out on me. I am your refuge. But now, I'm, I'm not going to answer the prayer in the affirmative that's not according to my will and my ways. I'm not going to do that. And so we frequently ask God for the wrong things when we're afraid or we're angry. So, so we're safe with God. You know, again, people sometimes say, we better be careful what you pray for because you might get it. No, you don't have to be careful what you pray for. What kind of God do you think He is? You think He's sitting around saying, I hope they ask something stupid because I'm going to give it to them. <laughs> no, no. He's a good, good Father we sing in our songs. He, he, if he, if, if you, in one place Jesus says, if, if your kid asks for a fish to eat for supper, are you going to give him a rattlesnake? No. He said, you being evil know how to do good things to your kids. How much more will our loving Heavenly Father uh, do good things to you when you ask? No, no, no. We have evidence here. David was not being careful about what he prayed for at this point. There is no sense of care or, or, or control. He is spilling his guts to God in raw honesty. And that's what, that's what we do. Well, pastor, didn't, what, what good does that do? 
It is an expression of our faith in God. When the, when the world caves in, when chaos erupts, how do we pray? With raw honesty, pouring out our emotions to God and expressing our confident dependence upon God Himself. That's what David did. He told God that he trusted Him. The, the, the one word focus here is faith. It is trust. And, and David prayed this way. Look at uh, verses 3 and 4. The enemies were saying, ha, 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 there's no, there's no, God's not going to help him. And he turns to God and says, but you, Lord, but you, they're wrong. You, Lord, are a shield around me. You are my shield. You are my protection. And he said, and you are my glory. Now circle that phrase in your Bible, my glory. What's he saying? Is he saying, uh, I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be mag? No, 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 no. That Hebrew word translated glory there is the word that means weighty. It means huge. It means significant. It means the, the biggest influence and hope in my life. He's saying, all that stuff they took away from me, I value God. I like being king. I like having my possessions. I like having my position. I like having my power. I like having my palace. But you know, that's not my glory. That's not where I put my trust and my hope. You are my glory. You are my glory. He was saying, I am no... Uh, I do not worship any idols of my own making. I worship you, the Lord God of heaven and earth. And that's and he said, you're my glory. Yes, I put my trust in you. And you're the lifter of my head. That, that speaks of, um, of, of approval. You're the one who approves of me. You're the one who counts in my life. He placed his trust in God. And he said, and I, I cry aloud to you. Now, when, you, when you're... The world caves in. You don't do little quiet, silent prayers. You get out in the woods where you can scream and holler to God. You get in your truck and roll up all the windows and drive down through the country, down toward Pine Mountain like I do, and cry and moan and call out to God's name and out loud. There's something about it. He said, cry aloud. He cried aloud to God. And he said, but I cry aloud to you because I know you will answer me from your holy mountain. You will answer me. You will answer me. He expressed his trust in God. And look at verse 8. He said, salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, that word salvation there in the Hebrew, it's not used in, it's not the word that is used in the sense of spiritual salvation, forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's not the word. It is the Hebrew word for physical rescue. So he's saying, save me, God. He said, Deliverance comes from you. Real help comes from you. Rescue comes from you. And your favor is on your people. He said, I trust in you. So, well, pastor, when all hell breaks out in my life, I don't feel like I have much faith. It rattles my faith. I mean, how, mu- how much faith must I have to pray the way God wants me to pray? Well, that's a good question. Here's the answer. Jesus gave it to us. Here's the answer. He said, not very much. You don't have to have very much. In fact, Jesus one time when he was asked a question about how much faith must we have, increase our faith, he said, it's not a amount of faith. He said, if you have faith in me the size of a mustard seed. Anybody ever seen a mustard seed? How many of you have never seen a mustard seed? Raise your hand. How many of you have seen a mustard seed? Raise your hand. A bunch of you just don't like to raise your hand in crowds again. You can hardly see a mustard seed. It's so small. It is so small. Here's what I believe. Here's what I believe Jesus is teaching here. 
if you simply have enough faith that in your fear and anger, just turn to Him in, in prayer, that itself is enough faith. Whatever faith you got that makes you call on the name of the Lord, that's enough. That's enough. Allison and I have an old friend um, that wrote a little uh, course, Al Holly. You might know Al Holly from here. A few of you do. Al wrote a little, Jack, he wrote a little fun course several years ago about this. And it, here's how it goes. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. You don't need a whole lot. Just use what you got. Faith, 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 just a little bit of faith. And that was Al's musical interpretation of Jesus' words. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Because when we are when the world crashes down upon us, we feel like our faith is shaken. If you have just enough to pray my favorite prayer, I've told you, oh God, oh God, oh God. If you just turn to God in prayer, it's enough faith. You express your faith in God. Well, what happens when we pour out our emotions in faith to God with raw honesty? He gives us peace. He gives us peace. That's what he did for King David. Look at this. In, in, when David prayed to God, he affirmed this in, in verses 5 and 6. He said, I lie down and sleep. That's a stunning statement in the midst of that in the midst of that prayer, I lay down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I am not afraid of the thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. I, I, I am not. You know it, Harry. In my life, it didn't. I didn't have to get up into the thousands before I was a little nervous when people would attack me. A couple of couple of guys way bigger than me, and I'm starting to want to negotiate. But he says. I'm not afraid of the thousands who've taken up arms against me on every side. And there were literally, he's not speaking figuratively here. I'm not afraid. His prayer for, but notice this, his prayer for deliverance from his enemies had not been answered. They're still there. They're still coming. Yet as a result of David pouring out his emotions in faith with raw honesty to the Lord our God. God, in prayer, granted David peace in the midst of his enemies. Reminds me of the words that King David also penned years later and that God inspired in the 23rd Psalm, verse 5, where he said, with astonishment, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the presence of my enemies. How could this possibly be? It's the same truth that the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pen in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, when God through him said, don't worry about anything. Instead, with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's stunning. So how do you pray? When the roof caves in? When you're under attack? When chaos erupts? 
you pour out your emotions to God. You tell Him what you want in raw honesty expressing as an expression of your faith in Him. And He gives you peace. He might, not, he might even deliver you from your enemies. He did at King David in this circumstance. But he doesn't always. But what He will do is grant you His supernatural peace that surpasses all comprehension to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You will not be destroyed. You will find yourself saying, hmm, I'm taking a nap. Hmm, no more sleepless nights for me in the midst of all this chaos. Hmm, so what? I'm not afraid of these people who are attacking me. He's taking away my fear. How could this be? It's beyond understanding. Well, Maybe you should pray that way right now. Pray with me. For some of you, chaos has erupted. The roof has caved in and you have been under attack. And your emotions are rampant. Fear and anger and the desire for vengeance. Well, now from your heart, pour out your hearts to God in prayer as an act of faith in raw honesty. Tell Him what you want done, even even if it's something that He won't do. Cry out to Him. And experience His peace. Experience His peace. Some of you are saying, well, Pastor, how can I have this kind of relationship with God? Well, you you begin it by becoming a Christian. You do it by placing your faith in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You you do so by repenting of your sin, acknowledging that I am a sinful person in need of a Savior, and I believe Jesus is that Savior, and you you commit your life in eternity to Him to forgive you your sin, come take up residence in your life, make you okay with God the Father, and give you a full and abundant life here and eternal life there. And I encourage you to do so. So take a moment and let's pray. You draw near. Lord, I thank You that when we cry out to You, You answer us from Your holy mountain. And I thank You that You are an anchor in our lives. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword Dogwood to 779-77 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.